Will you turn with me to Luke chapter 7 this morning? Last week we saw an interaction between Jesus and some of the disciples of John the Baptist. Those disciples of John the Baptist had come to Jesus to ask, on behalf of John, confirmation of whether Jesus was in fact the Messiah or not, or whether John the Baptist should be looking for someone else to come. And we saw last week that Jesus answered that question with actions. He answered it with actions. He healed the lame. He gave sight to the blind. He healed people in confirmation of what the, um, the prophets like Isaiah had said that he would do. And so Isaiah said in Isaiah 35 or in Isaiah 61 that when the Messiah came, he would give sight to the blind. He would heal. He would proclaim good news set the captives free. And so Jesus did those things. And then he said to John's disciples, now go back and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. And so Jesus gave an answer through action, confirming the truth that he was in fact the Messiah. In our text this morning in Luke 7, verse 36 through verse 50, we're going to see another instance in which someone displays truth through their actions. This time, the actions of a poor woman who has a very bad reputation in town, who does an act of love and devotion for Jesus that speaks a very loud and clear message. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through verse number 50 says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. 
But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you today with hearts that desire to be open and receptive to the truth of your word. Lord, we know that unless you awaken our dead hearts, unless you soften them, unless you open them, that it is impossible for us to receive the truth, to really see, to understand, to believe. Father, I pray that you would open this word of God to our minds and our hearts today. I pray that we would learn the lesson that this passage has to teach us. And Lord, we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Let me set the scene for you. This is a house of a Pharisee. And a Pharisee had invited Jesus over to his house to have dinner with him. Now, because of the language that is used throughout this passage, several commentaries have suggested that this was a formal type meal. Uh, perhaps even more of a, a public type of meal. So something more than just Simon and Jesus in a private meal in their house. In fact, some have suggested that this may have even been a Sabbath day meal. Uh, in this particular time in Israel, it was not uncommon for someone to invite uh, the teaching rabbi that Sabbath day to their home for a meal after that day's teaching service. And that may be what's going on here. Perhaps Jesus had uh, taught, read scripture and taught in the synagogue. And now this Pharisee who had been in, in attendance at that synagogue service is now inviting Jesus to his home for dinner. And the, these dinners on these Sabbath day meals would be a little bit more formal. And they would also uh, be able to accommodate others who would be there. And it would be maybe kind of an extension of the day's teachings uh, from the Sabbath and more conversation about the word of God would, would transpire as you invited the teacher to your house. And so this is a Sabbath day meal, most likely. And Jesus is here with this Pharisee, which is kind of unusual, isn't it? That we see Jesus and a Pharisee sitting down together in a home, eating a meal together. Because a lot of times in the gospels, we see Jesus and Pharisees in confrontation with one another. Often in scripture, we see Jesus rebuking the Pharisees, condemning their false self-righteous attitudes. Some have suggested that this was a trap by the Pharisees and they invited Jesus here to try to trap Jesus. But really there's no indication of that in the passage. From all indication, it seems to be a, a friendly uh, invitation to come and to sit and enjoy this meal together. And one of the things that struck me about this setting is that, first of all, you have Jesus in the home of a Pharisee. And then in a little bit, you're going to see this woman of disrepute come into the house. And Jesus is ministering to both of them, isn't he? And it, 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 the point hit me that Jesus offers his ministry to all kinds of people, doesn't he? all kinds of people. 
So Jesus offers his ministry to a Pharisee, to someone who is in that day would have been more upstanding, more a person of uh, reputation in the community, in the town. Jesus comes to his house and offers his presence and offers his ministry to him. But we also see other settings in which Jesus is in the home of a tax collector or in the home of some other uh, reputable sinner. And Jesus offers his ministry to them also, doesn't he? And so Jesus offers his ministry to all kinds of people, not just the rich, but to also the poor, not just to those who are religious, but to those who have a reputation of being undesirable or sinners. Jesus' ministry extends to all kinds of people. And there's a lesson in there for us, isn't there? That now we, as representatives, as ambassadors of the Lord, our ministry should extend to all kinds of people too. Not just the people that we think are good candidates for ministry or for the gospel, but all kinds of people. Rich and poor, clean and dirty, homed and homeless, all kinds of people. Jesus offers his ministry and we are to follow in his footsteps. And so here is Jesus and this Pharisee. And in verse number 37, it says that a woman came into the house. And in the next couple of verses, we're going to see that Jesus' grace, while offered to all kinds of people, often Jesus' grace reaches to the most unworthy of sinners, doesn't it? Jesus' grace reaches the most unworthy of sinners. And so this woman comes in, in verse number 37, and it says that this woman in that town had lived a sinful life. Now, we don't know, the the text doesn't tell us what she had done, what kind of a sinner she was. It could have been any number of things. Uh, She could have been married to someone who was considered unclean, a tax collector, uh, a a tanner, taxidermist. In, in the Israelite mindset, that was, those were considered unclean, uh, sinful occupations. But the way that Jesus talks to this woman suggests that it's more than just ceremonial uncleanness or more than just being married to someone who has the wrong occupation. It seems like this woman herself was an immoral woman. And so most likely she was either a harlot or perhaps an adulteress. And the town knew her as that. She was essentially like Hester Prynne in the Scarlet Letter, right? Who walked around with the big A. She was the person in town known for her immorality as being a sinner. And she enters into this Pharisee's house. And I don't know if you've ever read this passage before, but have you ever thought, why does this happen? How does this happen? How does someone just walk in to somebody's house and walk to the center of the room and start anointing oil on Jesus' feet. That seems very strange to us, doesn't it? Uh, We live in a very isolated culture. Uh, Our homes are are separate. They're divided. In fact, uh, where I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, most of the homes were in like neighborhoods, pre-designed neighborhoods, homes fairly close to one another, and every single house, almost without fail, had like a six foot high fence, wood or brick fence in their, in their backyard. And so you could fly over Phoenix and you see all these little rectangles in the backyard, all these fences six feet high separating neighbors from one another. 
we live in a, in a kind of an isolated culture. We don't have the kind of culture of hospitality that they had in the ancient world. And in fact, also, we don't have something similar to what's going on in this Pharisee's house in which it was probably because it was a Sabbath day meal, it wasn't a private meal. It was assumed that people would come and if they were not directly part of the meal, they would even be allowed to come in and sit around the edges of the room and just listen. Listen to the conversation as kind of an extension of uh, the teaching time of that Sabbath day. And so we think it unusual, but from this culture, from this time, it wasn't necessarily unusual for this woman to be there in the house during this meal, but her actions are unusual. So it's not necessarily unusual that she was there, but her actions are unusual because of what she does. And she comes up to Jesus behind him. And now during these meals, the word that's used here, reclined at the table. Normally when we think of a meal, we're sitting at a chair, right? We're sitting at a chair at a table. In the ancient world, especially at a formal meal like this, the table would have been low to the ground, maybe just, you know, maybe a, a foot or two off the ground. And they would have actually reclined on, on the ground, perhaps on a mat. And they would have extended their feet away from the table while they leaned on one side, eating and having conversation around the table. And so Jesus' feet would have been very accessible to this woman coming and coming up to Jesus. And she stands there and it says that as she stood behind him, that she was crying. And as she was crying, tears were falling down her face and dripping on his feet. Seeing that her tears were falling on his feet, she bent down and wiped them with her hair. And then she took out this, uh, this bottle of perfume, this bottle of ointment, and began pouring it on Jesus' feet. Now, if this passage is parallel to the one that we find in Matthew and the other Gospels, then this bottle of perfume was worth about 500 denarii. To put that in perspective, that's probably, from what we understand of that time, probably more than a year's wages for a common person. So this is not your Dollar General special of little olive oil. This is something, this is probably even something that was given to her from someone else, maybe from a parent or a grandparent as an heirloom. This is something that is incredibly costly, something that she probably did not have the ability to afford herself. It is something of great financial value, but more than that, it, it showed her sacrifice, doesn't it? It showed her sacrifice. She gave the very best thing that she had, and she came and anointed Jesus' feet with it. And it's probably not wrong here to see a, a foreshadowing of Jesus being anointed for burial, of preparing him for burial. And so she is doing this incredible act of kindness, of love, of devotion, and it shows the grace of God that has reached her. Because what this woman is doing is she is doing this as a response of grace that has been shown to her. Somehow this woman knows that Jesus was there. Perhaps she was at the synagogue that day and knew that Jesus was there teaching. 
the news spread around town that Jesus was there. She knew that he was at this house and she made plans. She went out of her way to go home to get this expensive bottle of anointing oil of perfume and to bring it back to this Pharisee's house. This is an intentional act. This is something that she thought about, went out of her way to get and to do. And she is doing this for Jesus as an act of devotion in response out of grace that she has received. Jesus' grace reaches to the most unworthy of sinners. But notice the reaction of the Pharisee. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So two vastly different attitudes toward Jesus, isn't there? Like night and day, two vastly different responses to Jesus. One on the part of this woman is the response of love, of humility, of utter devotion to Jesus because of forgiveness, because of grace that has been shown to her. But on the other part, on the part of this Pharisee, judgmentalism self-righteousness, questioning Jesus' legitimacy even as a prophet. And so this Pharisee is appalled by this act of devotion. Jesus sees it as an act of self-sacrifice, as an act of love. This Pharisee sees it as an embarrassing, appalling act. And even for Jesus, if he were a holy man, if he were a prophet, if he really knew who this woman was, he wouldn't want to be associated with her in any way and would not allow her to do this to him. It's a completely self-righteous attitude. And so the woman is an example of Jesus' grace finding the most unworthy of sinners. But this Pharisee is an example of the fact that Jesus' grace is often misunderstood and rejected by the self-righteous. Grace finds and is received by unworthy sinners. But at the same time, grace is often misunderstood and rejected by people who are self-righteous, by people who see no need of grace or of forgiveness. And that's the case of this Pharisee. He doesn't think he needs grace. He doesn't think he needs forgiveness. And when this sinner of disrepute comes into the house and does this act of devotion for Jesus, he is appalled by it. And he says, this woman shouldn't even be here. And if this man were really a prophet, he would send her away. How do you respond when a sinner enters the room? Now, we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners. But you know what I mean when I say when a sinner enters the room. Someone who has a reputation of being a sinner. How do you respond? How do you act around unbelieving, sinful, worldly people? What do you think about? One of the things about living in Judea, Galilee, around the years of AD 29 to AD 32 is you had to be careful what you thought about. 
especially if you're around Jesus, because Jesus knew what you were thinking about. Because this man is saying this to himself. He said it to himself. If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that this Pharisee is questioning Jesus' knowledge as a prophet, whether he knows or not who this woman is. All the while, Jesus not only knows that, he knows exactly what Simon is thinking. He knows his heart. And that's been a common theme throughout Luke chapter 7 is who is Jesus? What is his identity? Who is he really? At the early part of Luke chapter 7, we saw the people respond to Jesus' healing of the young man at Nain when he raised him from the dead. And they said, this man is a great prophet. But there's more to Jesus than that, isn't there? We saw when John the Baptist sent his disciples last week to ask Jesus, are you the one? Not just are you another prophet, not just are you a great prophet, but are you the one? Here again is Simon the Pharisee questioning, if this man were really a prophet, he would know this. Well, Jesus is more than a prophet, isn't he? Because he knows that and more. He knows the heart of Simon. He is the Messiah. But here's this self-righteous Pharisee, and he doesn't understand grace. He doesn't understand how Jesus could welcome the sinner and allow her to do this act for him. But notice verse number 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. He said, tell me, teacher. And then Jesus tells him a parable. He says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon said, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, that's right. You've judged correctly. Now, in this parable, in this story that Jesus tells, there are two people who owe money. One owes 50 denarii, the other 500. Now, we don't necessarily have to get into how much that is in today's dollars, but they're both a lot of money. 500 denarii is probably more than a year's wage. 50 denarii is probably a month's wage. But we don't even have to know that to know that the two have different amounts of debt. And one is 10 times the other. Now, here's something that I want to point out is that they both had a debt. They both had a debt, didn't they? And the other thing that I want to point out is not only did they both have a debt, neither of them had the capability to pay it back. Neither of them. That's a pretty good summation of all of humanity, isn't it? It really doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. It doesn't even really matter how bad your sins are in comparison to other sins. Because all of us are in debt, aren't we? All of us are in debt. And none of us, not a single one of us, has the capability of paying it back, do we? We can't. 
And so it doesn't matter, and I'm using kind of the language of Jesus here in this parabolic language, it doesn't matter if we owe 50 denarii and our sins are lying and gossip, or if we owe 500 denarii and our sins are adultery and murder. None of us can pay it back. We're all hopelessly in debt. But here's the problem with folks who owe 50 denarii sometimes. They don't think that their debt is that big of a deal. And they think that just give me enough time, I'll be able to pay it back. Give me enough time, I'll be able to work it off. When we get to the last day, hopefully I will have done enough good things to pay off that 50 denarii worth of debt, right? Yes, I know I've lied. Yes, I know I've said bad things about people. Yes, I know maybe I've, you know, cheated on a test in school or whatever. I know I've done these things, but it's not as bad as fill in the blank of this person over here. And so they don't see themselves as bad as that person. And, but here's the even more problematic thing is they don't see themselves as bad as they really are in God's eyes. Because in God's eyes, they're in debt and they have no capability of paying it back. It doesn't matter how long you work. It doesn't matter how many righteous things you do, how many good things, how many charitable things you do. It cannot pay back the debt of sin that you owe. But self-righteous people like this Pharisee don't see themselves as hopelessly in debt. They see themselves as a little bit in debt that they can potentially earn their way out of. But this woman, this woman who is known as a sinner, had a reputation in the town as being an unworthy sinner, she knows she has no hope, right? She knows she has no hope. There is no way I could ever possibly earn favor with God. There's no way I could earn forgiveness. I've done too much. But then for her to be given, to be granted by grace, forgiveness, as Jesus offers her here in this passage, and he says, your sins are forgiven. This woman recognizes the gift that she's been given. And so she loves more. She expresses that love through utter devotion, through self-sacrificial love. And that's the point that Jesus is making here. And really the point of this whole passage, that sacrificial love is the proper response to the forgiveness granted to us by Jesus' grace. Sacrificial love, devotion, is the proper response to the forgiveness granted to us by Jesus' grace. So then he turns toward the woman and he says to Simon in verse 44, you see this woman, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. You didn't wash my feet. It would have been kind. It would have been a kind act of hospitality for Jesus entering into the home of Pharisee for him or someone in his house, a servant perhaps to wash Jesus' feet. But Jesus says, you didn't give me any water for my feet. But this woman, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
she, she did the act of hospitality, of kindness with her own tears and her own hair. Verse 45, you did not give me a kiss. Again, a, a common courtesy of hospitality in that day would have been like a kiss on the cheek. You know, greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, it's, God forbid we would ever talk about something like that in this COVID era, right? No holy kisses going on right now. But that's something that was common. That was the, the culture of that day. Hospitality, you would welcome someone and greet them with a kiss. But Jesus says, you didn't give me a kiss. In other words, you didn't give me a kind, welcome gesture of hospitality. But from the time I entered, this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't even give me the common greeting of a kiss on the cheek. This woman's kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. Again, a, a generous, kind offer of hospitality to, to give someone some uh, anointing oil coming out of the hot sun in the Middle East and the desert. But you didn't even do that for me. But this woman has poured perfume and not just your normal common anointing oil that you would give as a kind act of hospitality. This woman has given this expensive, lavish gift of perfume and not put it on my head. She's put it on my feet. And so Simon welcomes Jesus into his home, but he really doesn't go out of his way to give Jesus all the acts of hospitality and kindness. But this woman not only goes out of her way, she goes well above and beyond in self-sacrifice in showing how much Jesus and his grace means to her. And so Jesus says to Simon in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So that kind of raises an interpretive question here about this Pharisee. Was this Pharisee forgiven? Can we call this Pharisee a Christian, a follower of Jesus? I'm not convinced that we can from this passage. He has no understanding of grace. He has no understanding of a gift of love that is unearned being given. The only thing that we see of this Pharisee in this passage is self-righteousness and judgmentalism. Those are not signs of being a follower of Jesus. And so when Jesus says, he who has been forgiven little loves little, I don't think he's necessarily talking about Simon and saying, Simon the Pharisee, you are forgiven. You're just not showing it very much because you've been forgiven a little bit. I don't think that's the point. I think the point is Simon hasn't been forgiven at all because he doesn't see his need of forgiveness. He doesn't see that he needs forgiveness at all. Therefore, Simon, you're not going to show any acts of love or of devotion because you don't think that you've been given anything. In fact, the other way around, isn't it? Simon is the one who thinks he's giving to Jesus, isn't he? Who's the host in this situation? Simon, the Pharisee's the host, right? So he's the host and he, feel like, he feels like perhaps he's doing an act of kindness for Jesus and inviting him to his house and giving him a meal And sometimes that's how self-righteous people think, is God, I'm doing something for you. I'll do this or that. I'll give this act of charity. I'll do this. God, you really owe me. I'm doing something for you. And that's completely the opposite of the mindset 
that is ready to receive grace, isn't it? This woman knows that she hasn't given anything, that she can't possibly repay the debt that has been given, that that she has, and she can't possibly repay the gift of grace that has been given to her, but she gives this as an act of love. And Jesus says that in verse 47, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. So when you fully understand, when you fully see how much you have been given by the grace of God, then the response that flows out of that is great love, great devotion, great worship. So Jesus declares that this woman's sins are forgiven. He says in verse 48 to this woman, your sins are forgiven. To which the other guests are are amazed, aghast, that Jesus would say this. Who is this who even forgives sins? Again, one of the questions about this whole chapter, who is this man? Who is this? Is this just a prophet? Is he a great prophet? No, he is more than that, isn't he? He is the son of man, the son of God, who has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he gives this woman a blessing. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Really, this passage is about this. God loved us first. God found us when we were lost, when we were broken. God sought us out when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. God gave us a gift of grace, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration through the renewal of the Holy Spirit, We have been granted a gift by God's grace because God loved us first. We love him in response. And this woman in this story shows that by action, doesn't she? As far as we can tell in this whole story, it's not recorded. This woman does not say a word in the whole story. But her actions speak a thousand words, don't they? She's been given much. She's been loved much by God. Therefore, she loves much in return. And so the question for us this morning is really this. How do we see ourselves? How do we see ourselves? Because really, in in this story... We're either represented by Simon, the Pharisee, or we're represented by the sinner woman. How do we see ourselves? And one of the ways to answer that question is, what kind of thoughts, what kind of attitudes come into our mind when when we're around other people who who are sinners? Do we respond like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18? God, I thank you that I'm not like this sinner. God, thank you for not making me like this sinner. Or are we more like the tax collector, the sinner who says, who beats his chest and says, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one did Jesus say went home justified? 
the one who beat on his chest and wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. How do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as just a little bit in the debt of sin? that perhaps we can work our way out of through enough acts of goodness or kindness or being a good father, a good mother, a good student, whatever. Is that how we see ourselves, that I'm pretty good, I'm, I'm a lot better than this person over here, and I'm, as I compare myself to this person, I'm pretty good. I'm not that much in debt. It, it, it can, it's payable. I can work this off. Is that how we see ourselves, or do we see ourselves as this woman and we see ourselves as hopelessly in debt, hopelessly lost, knowing that our only hope is for Jesus to love us and to give us forgiveness that we certainly have not earned. This story is calling us to identify with the woman who was a sinner, who recognized that sin and who humbled herself before Jesus and who responded with love and with gratitude and devotion because of the great gift that she had been given. And so may we love God with sacrificial love, with sacrificial love and devotion because he first loved us, because he lavished his grace on us. May we respond in kind to the great gift that we've been given. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you that you are the God who loves and welcomes sinners, who grants them forgiveness of sins, a forgiveness and a standing of justified that they could never, ever hope to earn. God, I thank you that I, that we, by your grace, can be declared forgiven. That we can be called the children of God. Lord, may we, like this woman, never forget what we have been given. And may we respond in the way that this woman did, with lives of devotion and love and self-sacrifice for you, and for others because of what you have given to us. Lord, only your spirit can apply this truth to our hearts. Only your spirit can make us new again. Only your spirit can revive us. And so, Lord, may your word do in our hearts what you have sent it to do this morning. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.